Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I recently met a fascinating lady named Robin, just as she celebrated her first year of sobriety. And Robin's cheerful energy, wit, and inquisitiveness made for lively conversations. And I just knew that her voice needed to be heard here on the Bubble Hour. So here to reflect on the highs and lows of her first year of sobriety is my friend, Robin. Robin, welcome to the show. Hi, Jane. I, um, I'm really grateful that you were willing to do this. We are uh, a long ways away from each other, and um, so it's kind of a treat for me to, to get to hear from you anyway. So uh, I get to combine um, a catch-up visit with recording a bubble hour episode. This is very efficient of us. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we would start, Robin, with just a little bit of background. So how about you tell us about yourself and how you came to be a person in recovery? All right. What an opportunity to go on and on about myself. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> um, well, I have taken some notes here in sort of outline form. Um, and I'm going to refer to those, but I, but I want to get to the bottom line first. Um, as I reflected on the past year plus, I thought about May 18th, 2015, being the most one of the one of the very most important dates in my life. The date I just woke up and I was done, done with alcohol, and I thought about. The situations I've had in my life, life, all kinds of good things and not so good, and realize most of the stressful, harmful, not good life experiences are ones I chose. They didn't happen to me. Um, I grew up probably with as good as it can be in a family, two parents that loved each other, stayed together. Um, they were not drinkers. There wasn't alcohol in the house, or if so, it was a rare occasion. I didn't see alcohol as I grew up. Um, and we did lots of family activities. It was very much about activity camping, whitewater canoeing, good vacations, a value on education, a well-educated mom and dad. Um, but emotions weren't really something that we processed. And I've come to realize that um, that early on I, I felt a lacking. Any, any despair or trouble or decision 
that I took to my mom was met with, well, run around the house six times. You'll feel better. Yeah, and I did feel better, but it was just just part of that. Um, And I could count on my parents, though. They they were there. And a little embarrassingly, um, I was 50 years old when I fell apart, and I went back home to live with my mom and dad. They, They took care of me. I needed them, and they were there for me. Um, I'm grateful for that and I've I've thought about well what put me in I suppose what we call a nervous breakdown and it was a lot of my choices that did Um, I had a good time in college with a college boyfriend and that's when I started drinking it was wine it was it's part of what we did. Um, I had lots of adventures, travel all over the place, England, lived in a kibbutz, lived in England a year, bicycled across the United States back when I was had a thighs like a frog and could do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, lived, lived in an ashram, which I was very involved in for 10 years. I... I um, I guess in college, perhaps being a hippie hit Tennessee kind of late. I was in college in the early 70s and fancied myself a hippie with wanting to do everything that my parents didn't want me to do and did okay in college. I kind of got out of there by the skin of my teeth with minimal damage and... um, did just whatever I wanted, really, I think. I won't blame that I'm part of the me generation, but that was part of the social kind of atmosphere I grew up in, and selfishness has been a pretty big part of my life. I haven't needed to take care of other people until recently, my parents. Um, so I, I ran away more than once, and... I joined the ashram and I practiced meditation and yoga there. I worked there in the vegetarian kitchen. Um, I I married there. That was my life. Lived there and gained quite a bit and lost a lot. Lost. I think that was the capper for losing my identity and losing any kind of... um, well, any ethics. So, anyway, I, I got out of that situation, and in retrospect, I see it certainly as a cult. Um, when I was there, and I, when I left, I, I left a lot. I left my husband. I left my employment. I left my social circle. Um, and then was very, I chose to go back to grad school in psychology and Gee, psychology, that was certainly not at all acceptable in the ashram or cult. Um, But it was good for me. It helped me remember self-determination, that I I can make some decisions on my own. I don't need to be pleasing the master or the guru or the husband. And I was really fortunate in that a good friend left 
that situation soon after I did. And we've stayed good friends. We've seen each other through marriages, divorces, her grown children, lots of big moves. Um, so that having, having a very good friend who truly knows me inside and out has been sustaining. And part of getting sober, what scared me, and it's still emotional, um, is that I would lose some of, some of our connection. We, we spent years and years, evenings together, opening that bottle of wine at 5 o'clock. Many, many good times together. Very, I guess, emotionally intimate and easy. And we were opening our own bottles of wine. We would each have our own stash, which could have been an indicator that I did not want to run out of this stuff. Um, in, in, I knew, somewhere I knew our friendship is much stronger than the bottles of wine. And it is. I've, I'm very grateful. Um, and she's actually here now for two weeks, and we've had a chance to talk about some of this, and it's just, it's wonderful. Um, I think I'm a little emotional about it because kind of both sides, the fear and the gratitude is there, and it's very real. And mm. So I'm, I'm grateful, and um, some things have changed for her, too, that are very good. Um, and... I I think I began to wake up to having a problem with alcohol when I drank my way through my mom's death and I drank my way through my dad's death. Those happened within two years of each other. And I was drunk at my dad's funeral. I took about six bottles of wine, had them in the kitchen, hoping other people would join me, and no one did, but I didn't care. And I feel a little bad that that's how I said goodbye to my parents, but there's no redo on that. Um, And back early May 2015, my drinking just accelerated quickly. I was pretty much bottle of wine drinker alone at home. That was my choice. To I much preferred being able to drink alone at home. I think a lot of us probably go through that. Mm-hmm. And I saw myself as just pathetic. Oh my gosh, pathetic! I'm getting old. I'm alone, and this is how I'm spending my time. So I go to bed, well, tomorrow. I'm just going to take a break. I was all, you know, all good till about noon, and then I'd start looking forward to 5 o'clock. <laughs> well, why wait till 5 o'clock? Jeez, I, I'm not working right now. And I was drinking by 2 o'clock. And very, I mean, within a couple of weeks, I didn't want to do anything unless I could be drinking. I didn't want to garden. I didn't want to walk my dog. I didn't want to go to a movie with a friend. 
unless I could be drinking, and this meant before, during, and after the event. And when I did work, I would race home, open the bottle of wine, and pour a glass. I'm surprised they even poured a glass. I think the next week I would have been guzzling it straight from the bottle. (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was practical. Maybe it was muscle memory, or perhaps this is addiction. I watched myself. I watched my hand pour that glass. And I, I knew, I knew, I am sinking. Every swig I take, and I do mean swig. I was not using wine glasses. These were water goblets, and this was not sipping. I knew with every swig I am digging this miserable hole of mine deeper. Um, and I think it was the night that mentally I I was very scared that that cinched it. Falling as not falling asleep actually, wanting I uh, wanting to pass out on the couch and when that didn't happen, attempting falling asleep and I couldn't think a thought. Very disjointed, strange, unpleasant incomplete thoughts and I'm losing my mind I really am losing it and I thought and and this is somewhat informed but I thought oh my gosh this must be what it feels like to have schizophrenia fragmented and I think it took me a couple of nights of panic And I'd already been through those phases of anxiety at night and not sleeping well and spending half the day feeling like there was a fax embedded in my head. But it was, I think through all that, I was perhaps in a lame way processing and making decisions. But I really did wake up May 18th and say, I'm done. And I didn't. I have not looked back. I was ready, and I I was ready before before I hit the bottoms that I know other people have had to live through. Own mm-hmm. my home, have a job. Um, one one friend looked at me and said, "You quit drinking? You mean forever?" said, well, yeah, and um, one friend said, well, I had no idea you had such a problem. And I did, for me, yes, it was a problem. And I'm, I'm grateful I was able to see it before I continued on that accelerated spiral downward. And I had even, there were a few nights there I thought, let me figure this out here. Gee, spacing out on the couch, watching endless hours of Netflix by myself. I think I'd quit living. And I thought, how many hours a week do I need to be sober to maintain this lifestyle? Hmm. About 40. 
40 hours a week. Hey, and only for 34 weeks out of the year. I can be flat out drunk all that most of my life, the rest of my life. <laughs> yes. And I, I was giving some thought to making that choice of throwing in the towel. And I don't know, I'm not a religious person. I'm not going to even say a spiritual person. Um, I don't know. Maybe I got lucky or maybe I'm, maybe there really is something. But I think I, I, got, a, I got a grip um, and made a different choice. But not even consciously in a way. Just... I was just done, and it didn't take too many. I felt better within a few days, and it didn't take too many weeks for my viewpoint to change. I began to see a future, um, and it's just compared to, I don't know, whatever, 14 months ago, I'm I feel like a different person. I am excited mm-hmm. about life. Yeah. Uh, well, I, thank you for that. Um, I always find you so fascinating, Robin. And um, I, one thing you and I haven't discussed in, in all the times we've talked, um, and we were on a retreat together, so we had a whole week on the beach of story mm-hmm. sharing and and um, listening and learning from each other. But I'm curious to know, um, it, during those first few days, you, you were one of the lucky ones to just find your own motivation to stop with what mm-hmm. some might call a high bottom. Um, what did the physical and emotional withdrawal during those first few days feel like for you? Um. The first, the first few days, I or, well early on. I, I'm not. I'm not sure the first few days, but I could feel. I, I felt both. I, I did feel the emotional withdrawal. I was. I was fairly flat, um, and physically. Oh man! By three o'clock in the afternoon, I could feel it. The, the irritability, the agitation, the anticipation. Um, and it would cross my mind, yeah, yeah, a, a drink. But it, I never stayed with that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, back after grad school, I worked as a mental health therapist for five years, long enough to earn my license and throw it away, Um and I was a bad therapist. I was not a good therapist. I just, oh my gosh, I just wanted to Why were you smack not a good my therapist? clients. And I'm not much of a helper. <laughs> I, I'm very interested in psychology, um, but I'd have people sit with me who were seeking help, who were truly unhappy, and and making an effort to get in. And I would want to smack them in the head and say, "Get a life." So- did you tell any of them dog, to go, get a dog. go run around the house six times? Go. Exactly. <laughs> That's right, Jean. Exactly. <laughs> and people would come talk to me after suicide attempts. 
and describe oh. their lives. And I, I would be sitting there. I mean, I suppose this is incongruity, cognitive dissonance, it's lack of integrity. I'd be sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, if I was you, I'd kill myself too. Oh, so no. I, and I was drinking through all this. So right. I, I, I had to leave therapy. There were, there yeah. were other things there that played a part. Um, but I, I had to get out of that business before I got yeah. sued. Right. Um, so do you think client, that you, because you were learned to sort of um, not feel your own emotions, it makes sense that you wouldn't be equipped to help anyone else process theirs either? I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, let's just not go true. there. Let's just, yeah, let's override it. Let's get yes. busy with something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you made the right choice then to leave the, the work of being a therapist. Um, but you had tools to address yourself, and I find that interesting. One thing, one thing that I have learned, um, my experience also was that I was spared a very low bottom. Um, but what I have learned is that for, for people like us who were fortunate enough to quit drinking before the um, symptoms were apparent to the rest of the world, it can be hard to stay motivated because we hear things like what your friend said to you, which was like, wow, I didn't know you had a problem. Why did you quit drinking? Do you mm-hmm. actively work to stay motivated to remind yourself of, of why you quit or does that seem to not be a problem for you so far? Right now it's not a problem. Um, the first year, I, I kept myself very aware of it. Um, I reread a couple of books that really resonated with me. Um, I was watching Tell us what YouTube those were. clips. Robin, what books I'm did sorry, you read? Dean. I um, well, a, a friend of mine had read Alan Carr's book, mm-hmm. uh, "Stop Smoking Now." Mm-hmm. And that was that was it. He never picked up nicotine again. So I ordered Alan Carr's book, Stop Drinking Now. And I got it. I really did get it. It's not a complicated book. I think I can understand why some people would kind of laugh at it. It's so straightforward. It's cognitive therapy, and Carr's not even a therapist, Um but I got it, and I, I've used a lot of what he's talked about. Mm-hmm. My, um, my favorite is his discussion about the monsters, um, and I think he applies this to many destructive habits or addictions, but there, there's the big monster, and that big monster is our psychological dependence on alcohol, mm-hmm. our illusion of believing this is what helps us relax and be social. And he talks about the little monster, the craving, the physical craving. And I, I drew little sketches of these monsters 
oh my I just made them so disgusting like maggots or worms living in me and they had mouths like one of those eels moray eels just sucking the life out of me it was just and I went on I, I guess I could spare you some of all that but I went on and on about if I take a drink all I'm doing is nourishing those see we're not supposed to cuss nourishing those monsters <laughs> and waking them up and they reproduce and they eat right. holes in my life so that visual so, alone acts as motivation doesn't it oh my gosh yes yuck and when I was <laughs> looking at my journal I didn't start keeping a journal until about day six but I looked at it seeing these little monsters and I had written I am killing you little monsters and all these holes you've bored into my heart and soul and brain I'm filling with love and it's happened I have so much more love in my life so I'm curious um, if you were sort of raised learning to not acknowledge or voice or even really feel bad feelings, were you encouraged to celebrate good feelings? Is it easier for you to feel that love and to experience the love than it was for you to live with unhappiness? Um, let's see. I think whatever it is, kind of the happiness sets point individuals have. I, I I won the lottery there too, in my <laughs> unpolluted state. I'm I'm fairly optimistic and happy. Um, and we did the the growing up. I learned well. Fo- put your let's just focus on the good things. Mm-hmm. And that's that's okay until it comes to denying other aspects of life. And I I do think it's a package deal. And when we um and the drinking was numbing me, mm-hmm. yes, from emotional difficulties and pain, but it was numbing me from joy. Right. Um. And. I've never, I haven't really needed to try to define, well, am I alcoholic? I don't, I may be, I, I guess I kind of don't even care. I just know I'm not drinking alcohol. And I caught on, I like, you know, the word disease that perhaps alcoholism or alcohol, problems with alcohol is a disease. And I'd really like to to read that word as dis. Yeah, yeah. And accept, oh my gosh, so much of my agitation, anxiety is due to the dis-ease that alcohol causes. Which is, it's so ironic, isn't it, Robin, that we we drink alcohol to feel better. And it really makes it worse in the long run. Absolutely. I just, the, um, an, another book that I've really liked 
is one by Dr. Harry Thibault, The Collected Writings. He, he, uh, he was a psychiatrist, and I think he may have been one of the first who endorsed AA. And he, in his writings, he talks a lot about the ego. Mm-hmm. And the, I guess the psychology part of it I, I get into. He comes from probably some Freudian training. And he talks about consciousness that, okay, we're aware we have some something going on, but to check, to stop, to fully stop whatever destructive habit, it takes the unconsciousness accepting. Mm. And I think that clicked with me. And not drinking for me has not been a matter of willpower. I have not struggled with just having to stop myself. It's, I don't want it. And I think about wine or I, I see it and smell it. I'm like, ooh, that, that's urine. I'm not going to be drinking urine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you, and that is, do mm-hmm. you differentiate between sobriety and recovery? Yes. And I guess like a, most of what I've done with this journey is come up with my own meaning and my own purpose, and that's the same with these kind of loose definitions. I think sobriety is not drinking, and I think that's wonderful to not drink. I like the sober life, um, and somehow because it clicked with me, I haven't had to white knuckle it, or maybe just a very few occasions. I think recovery is the emotional work, the psychological work, the willingness to say, dang, all those years I've been barking up the wrong tree. But now I get a glimpse there's a whole other life. There's another world. I have another chance. I don't want to keep doing what I've been doing. How will I do it differently? And I think it's, I, I read Viktor Frankl also. He's one of my my favorites. Um, Man's Search for Meeting? Yes. Yeah. Yes. A classic. And he, I believe, yeah, I think he's the one who talks about happiness is an inside job. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's the recovery work. Right. And I did a lot of that on my own. I think, you know, a little bit of what we were talking about is kind of what, what was it like in May when I met 19 other women who are in recovery for something. And the community, I I hadn't had that. And I just, oh my gosh, just, it was wonderful, wonderful. Like, oh my gosh, you get it. I And I get you. It doesn't matter. I'm, I mean, sure, we can talk about your kids or your parents or your siblings or your employment or your recreations, but we talked about real, real stuff immediately. And so I just, this experience that Robin is talking about is that after a year of recovery and sobriety on her own, 
um, Robin treated herself to a re re retreat for women in recovery, which is where we met. And, um, and that was really your first experience is being in the presence of other women in sobriety for, or recovery for the purpose of, of talking about sobriety and recovery. And um, I know I just felt like I watched you just brighten and soak up joyfully that experience. And I'm curious as to how you would describe it from the inside. Did it take you by surprise how, um, mm -hmm. I, well, just the emotion and the, the, comfort mm -hmm. of being among other people that are walking the same path. Yes, it did. I had early on in sobriety stumbled on Reddit. And I know it's got the good, the bad, and the ugly, but there, there's a subreddit, Stop Drinking Now, and I was yeah. very active with that, reading other people's stories and had had that um, I don't know if it's exactly, exactly connection, but I guess understanding, oh, other people are doing this too. And then I, I thought, well, gee, I am saving two to $300 a month here, not spending it on my poison. And I want to go on a trip. I want to do some, I want to reward myself. And I was just, I don't know, Somehow or another, I found the She Recovers Retreat, and it took me one exchange with Dawn email. I said, well, I'm going. I'm just <laughs> going. And it was so, it was so, I, when I went to that retreat, I had, I was on Facebook, and I had about, I don't know, 12 friends, <laughs> most of them with the last name of Pop, my last name. <laughs> <laughs> and I I left that retreat with 19 more friends. Right. But yeah, and I really do. I some of the moments that I've kind of thought, oh, maybe a glass of wine would be nice. I think, well, no, it wouldn't. And in fact, I bet all these other 19 or however many people are are they're the, they're saying no, it wouldn't. So I can mm -hmm. feel the connection. I still feel it, and I still have, I still have it, and I love that. It means oh. a lot. Yeah, it really is special, isn't it? I I feel like it put fertilizer on my recovery. It just it just made mm -hmm. me grow and expand, and it's a wonderful feeling. And I was adamant when I got sober that no one was going to know and I was going to do this myself. I didn't need anybody. Mm. No one would understand mm. anyway, because I thought I was super special. <laughs> yes. Oh, we all are. <laughs> and then yeah. comes the wonderful news that that's not true. And, mm. um, and yeah, it's even better with friends. I wonder, Robin, oh, yeah. as you look back on this first year, first of, many, many years to come, I'm sure, but we live one day at a time. But looking back on this first year, what would you say were the highlights? Um, overall, the first year, I was excited. I really was excited. It was a heck of a trip as far as, wow, I feel better, much more relaxed. I got so dang happy I became a pest at work. 
<laughs> I would just want to go around and talk to people about anything, interrupt what they were doing. I had to rein myself in. I got so, whoa. Um, and just getting in my car, driving to work, I'd feel um, joy. And nothing externally was changing for me, but I felt joy. And every day, it, it took maybe a month, but deep sighs, deep, just coming. Oh, my God, there is no high better than this. And I get to have it every single day. And I thought, no drink is worth that. No way I'm giving up. And I found myself, I'm able to really laugh and be completely relaxed. I think I'm getting like, wow, I got so happy. I'm getting kind of too relaxed. I'm not even going to work anymore. <laughs> um, so I, I like that. Um, and now I, I think, I really think the retreat jump-started this for me, being able to share, being able to experience community. Now other, other I'm, able, I'm better able to connect with others, not necessarily about recovery, but if I'm a, the grocery store clerk or the Mr. Rotor-Rooter who comes and fixes the toilet, just being able to be who I am, talk to them. And then much more in-depth with some family members. I don't agonize over it. I'm not anxious. I'm much more willing, much more willing to embrace, to perhaps I'm better established in myself. Right. Um, yeah, and I, there's a, I'm, I'm probably going to mutilate this, but there is a Tibetan Buddhist wisdom that goes along the lines of rather than trying to cover the entire world with leather, put on shoes. <laughs> yeah. That's it's a freedom. That's yeah. Yeah. I don't need to figure out anything for anybody. I don't need to control a situation. I can I'm safe. I'm safe now. I have more trust in myself. I still do uh-huh. stupid things, believe me. But, yeah. my, You've got to keep it interesting. Telling, oh, it's interesting, yeah. I was uh, telling my friend something like, well, joking around, well, gee, one of the reasons, the big reason I quit drinking because I was getting so dang stupid. I don't know if it's helped any. And she did point out, that well now aging has something to do with it also but it's a whole different kind of it's more of an innocent stupid I think than putting myself I've been putting myself in very dangerous situations so when you were drinking oh yeah oh gosh yeah Mm -hmm. I I definitely find that now when I make a mistake I don't have the fear that it was because I was drunk um, and I think I was so fearful of making a mistake due to alcohol because I knew that then I would have to quit drinking, right? There was some self-preservation of the addiction there. And um, so I was just so afraid that it's just because I'm drinking. And, um, now I don't have that. If I, 
you mentioned laughing. I find laughing feels so good because I never have to second guess if I'm laughing too loud or inappropriately or if mm-hmm. it's a cackle. It just feels so good to actually laugh and think, I'm laughing sober. Like this is real pure joy and I can feel it and it's honest. And um, and if I make a mistake, same thing. Oh, well, it was just a mistake. Um, it really does take some of the pressure off or some of the secrecy or shame or protection of our highs, like highs and lows to know that we don't have that um, secret that we have to protect to go along with it. Do you experience that? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Even when I do embarrassing things, stupid things, humiliating things, or hurt someone, I feel it now. I, mm-hmm. Yes, I'm probably still oblivious to a lot, but I feel it. And I want to deal with it. And it's wonderful. It, it's, um, and I'm thinking back maybe as recently as 18 months ago, I was drinking and thinking I liked it and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not an alcoholic. I can't imagine not drinking. (laughs) Getting on the other side of that, no, I am not going back. There is no desire. I want to see what's ahead of me. And I can still zone out. Not drinking doesn't mean always being on. Right. I'm surprised at how I can still just sit there like a lump, but there aren't side effects. <laughs> <laughs> um, Robin, you really were never too secretive about either your drinking or sobriety, were you? Did you intentionally share or not share your decision to to enter sobriety with the people in your life? Um, well, I guess I have to fess up. I don't do a lot of planning, and I'm... Um, part of my recovery is working on being more intentional. Um, I didn't advertise it. I think the choice to not drink is personal. Um, as I needed to, when a friend would ask me over and I'd usually take a bottle of wine or they'd start to pour me a drink, I'd just say, no, thanks, I'm not drinking now. Um, I don't. I don't know, maybe I just don't care in a way. What If someone else needs to peg me, oh, an alcoholic, or oh, that explains some of her past behaviors, I guess I don't really care. But then I'm fortunate. I'm, I'm at a secure place in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm not really, I'm not really, I feel like I'm not trying to get something from anyone else. I want connection. It's nourishing, but I don't have to behave in a way that suits you. I don't have to present in a way that you're used to or you expect. Um, And some people have, have been great with that. A few invitations have ceased, and I realized, well, good. I didn't enjoy that much anyway. I didn't want to do that unless I was drinking. And I came to the rationale or the conclusion that 
if I believe to get through that activity or be with that person, I have to be drinking, skip it. Right. That's good advice Mm -hmm. to yourself, to anyone. So if someone asks you, oh, Robin, how come you're not drinking? What do you what do you answer? Um, uh, uh, let's see. Sometimes I don't, I don't even answer it. Um, cause often that person is too much of an, in a hurry to get to the bar themselves. Um, <laughs> really, I mean, on the fly. Just, just get out of their um, way. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess there, there've only been a couple of people who I think have genuinely asked me that. And I've told them, because I was losing my body. I was losing my mind. I lecture for a living. I would stand up in front of 100 students, and I couldn't find words that I've been using since 1975. I thought, oh, my gosh. Um, oh, Jean, I'm carrying on. I forgot the question. <laughs> I I am... Um... <laughs> Well, here's another question. Has that come back? Your memory has it has it restored um, sufficiently, at least? I'm I am much more efficient at work. I am much my short term memory is much better, and that is a great relief. I think that's yeah. part of regaining trust in myself. Um, I, th- I think it. I think not drinking has certainly slowed down some of the aging in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, 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 right now, I feel I'm doing. I am doing what I can to make better choices and be more present. So, in this is not were- particular. Go ahead, Robin. This is not really new. Okay, not really news. I was in undergrad school, 1972, and I remember seeing those, however things were projected back in those days, brain images. This yeah. is someone who has suffered a lot of hits on the head, physical brain trauma. This is someone who's drinking. Those brains look just alike, damaged. Mm. And through my teaching, I sometimes use YouTube, and I looked at a clip. A student turned me on to this, um, Dr. Daniel Amen, a psychiatrist who does brain imaging, and he talks a lot about brain inflammation, and that's what we're doing with alcohol, inflaming our brains. Mm. So that, from there, I began to watch I began to watch, I think it's Kevin O'Hara, um, some of his YouTube. And I, I began to educate myself, and that, that helped a lot in really, okay, I got, this is solid, this is what I'm doing. So you really... I, I suppose that, I suppose you, that's, if, if someone came to me and said, I want to stop drinking, um... Oh, I'm sad to say that we have just lost Robin. We just dropped her call. Um, I, she has a number to call back on. So hopefully 
She'll be back on the line in just a moment here. I'm going to give her a moment or two to call back on the line. Um, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I had many discussions like this with Robin as we sat on the beach in Mexico and, um, and got to know each other. And we always hear ourselves in one another. And then we always learn something more from one another. And that really is the beauty of recovery. It really is the beauty of conversation and storytelling. And that's why we do this here on the Bubble Hour. That's, that is why we're here, is to share and to learn from one another and hear ourselves in each other's stories and to hear the familiar, but then learn something new at the same time. And um, I really feel like that, that was the experience I had in talking with Robin, and I hope that you're having the same takeaway as we continue our discussion here. I'm going to give Robin a couple more minutes to try to reconnect her call. I suspect that she may have talked herself out of a battery on her cell phone. Just a guess, but that's what I think might have happened, which could prevent her from calling back in again. Um, a few final things. What I'll do right now is I'm going to just give you some websites. Um, and if Robin isn't back on the line by the end of it, then we'll wrap it up. So maybe you haven't listened to all the closing of the bubble hour in a little while, but I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. The bubble hour is supported by the parent organization, shiningstrong.org. That's a not-for-profit organization that does different types of fundraising and advocacy awareness projects. And um, any monies raised in that organization goes to support this podcast because we do have to pay money to produce a podcast. Um, so if you are interested in supporting this podcast, you can take a look at shiningstrong.org and uh, see different ways that you can that you can support that organization. You can learn more about the Bubble Hour podcast at thebubblehour.com. You can email me at thebubblehour at gmail.com. And my name is Jean, and I write a blog called unpickledblog.com. And I see, hooray, Robin's back on the line. Hi, Jean. Hi, Robin. You're back. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I don't know what unbubbled us, but we're back. Okay. <laughs> we burst our bubble. Well, yeah. we were Ooh. we're just coming to the to the very sort of last few minutes of the show, and I already did all the housekeeping of of giving out all the websites and emails while you were dialing back in again. So, just in the last um, five or so minutes that remain of our airtime. Um, I would like to ask you um, just some closing things about the year. Um, what are your goals for the months to come? Oh, these questions stump me. Um, <laughs> let's see. I have faced this before. What are your goals? What's your life purpose? Oh, I don't know. I, Would you um, travel again? Would you embark on uh, on Oh, my another? gosh, yes. Yes? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm saving up my money. You betcha. <laughs> I am all, oh, I want to do do more of these retreats. Definitely do that. Um, and I, 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 I want to maintain 
one person talked about it as base camp, and I think base camp is within. I want to continue strengthening and supplying my base camp with healthy practices of setting an intention with breathing, with gratitude, Mm. and be... um, See what comes. Just, I, I, I do have some faith in life that if I give myself a chance and give the world a chance, what, what I need or others, it'll happen. It's, um, That's awesome. And I, you've, you did something new as well in the last little while because all of these new Facebook friends that you met, these sober women and women in recovery that you connected with, uh, you sort of organized amongst our little group a, a book club as well, an online book club. <laughs> yeah, that did happen. <laughs> I think I just made a post. So I, I am going to read Tried by Sebastian Junger in the anyone want to join me? And the next thing I know, uh, Dawn tells me, okay, Robin, you're the boss of the book club. (laughs) Wait a minute. But all right. Um, And I I love that. Um, And I was, actually, I just marked one of his quotes. Um, He talks about the three pillars of self-determination in I think he means like determining who we are in the world and internally. And one of the three pillars is community. And that's what I have now, community. What are the other two? The other two, I don't know who came up with these, but I like them. Autonomy and competence. So you have finding both of those. the you know, Oh, I I'm probably kind of extreme on the autonomy. So <laughs> The community is good because I'm, I'm really rather lazy socially. So, it's, it's, yeah. So community yeah, was sort of I, one I, of the I, missing pillars for you, and you you built that this year. It, it, I built it, or it came to me, and it came through. I don't know, just other women who are kind and generous and not judging. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if you've read the book, Drinking a Love Story by Caroline Knapp. It's sort of one of the recovery classics that a lot of people really find helpful. But Mm -hmm. one thing that she talks about is that, you know, your first year of recovery is all about firsts because you have everything you would normally do, you have to do sober for the first time in a lot of years. So, you know, there's your first sober date if you date or your first sober um, block party. And, uh, and so you had a sober wedding to attend mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And, oh, um, yes. I'm, and you were nervous about that. I made so a, you called on your community. I was nervous. I made a big to do about that. Everyone helped me out. Oh, should I wear stockings? Am I going to be the old lady there in pantyhose? Oh, no. <laughs> How do I refuse a drink without appearing disrespectful or impolite? It was easy as pie. I had my little bracelet mala on and took everyone with me. And it didn't matter one bit. I didn't, I wasn't tempted to drink. No, who's going to notice what? old aunt robin's doing so it was it was good it was fine (laughs) yeah yeah that's good that's good Mm -hmm. 
do you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners or any um, wishes for anyone else out there that's in the same boat or would like to make a change in their life? Um, it's, I'd, I'd say if, if someone's thinking about, wow, is this, is alcohol something I need to look at? Yeah, look at it. Don't have to make a, a commitment now, but look at it. Think about what you have and well, what I did. I think I thought about what I have, what do I want, um, and just begin to check it out. Look, look on your unpickled. Look at read other stories, and it's fun. Being sober <laughs> is fun. We are. If people still use this word, we are the hipsters. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true I never would have believed it before but it is where it's at especially you know as we get older someone just told me the other day I was well, moving my parents into assisted living and my mom was bragging to one of her neighbors that I'm a grandmother and her, and her neighbor said oh you look too young to be a grandmother mm-hmm. and I thought yep that's because I'm healthy and happy and taking care of myself. And, and um, I don't, I, it's a great feeling, it really is. We're on the right side of it. Well, yes, I want to thank are. you for being here, Robin. I, I always love talking to you, and um, I find that you just are so eloquent, and you always put such a sweet turn of phrase on things. And um, you just, you make me, always make me feel very, joyful to be living this life and to have friends like you in it. So thank you very much for taking the time to to talk with me today and for being on the bubble hour. You're welcome, Jean. You give me a lot and I'm grateful. Well, I hope we talk again soon. And uh, I want to thank all our listeners for, for, being with us and for those of you that hung in right till the very end that you didn't just give up on this podcast when when Robin dropped the line and then came back I want to give you an extra gold star for that (laughs) and um, thanks everyone for listening Uh, until next time take good care bye-bye